This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Our scripture reading for today is John 17, 14 through 26. And if you are able, please stand. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. So as Emily said the last uh, couple of weeks, as all of you guys know, we've been talking about hope and joy and peace that come from the incarnation of Christ, um, what in our series we're calling God Made Known. Or another way to just say uh, incarnation is just another way to uh, talk about Advent, the, the coming of Christ. So this morning we're, we're landing on love made known. So we're kind of wrapping up the series with that. And uh, the, more I, the more I thought about this passage, the more I sort of like digested what was in the verses. Um, when we're doing sermon prep, Ben and I walk through uh, a preaching book from Tim Keller that helps like the steps for everything. And there's a step that says, like, what is the one thing that all the other things are about? It's just a helpful question to, like, look at the passage and say, what's the one thing that all the other things are about? And the more I sat there and, like, went through this passage and went through this passage, the one thing that all the other things are about in this particular passage is what Paul calls a great mystery. Paul uses the phrase a great mystery when he's talking about our union with Christ, so, we're, so this morning we're going to talk about the, the great mystery of our union with Christ. And, and now when Paul calls our union with Jesus a mystery, he doesn't mean like it's a, like a Sherlock Holmes thing that we're trying to figure out or we're, we're wondering which of our crewmates is sus. When Paul, yeah, that was funny for two people, for me too, so... So that's not the kind of mystery that Paul is talking about. When Paul is talking about a mystery, he's talking about something that's partially hidden from the Old Testament that's now been revealed, but is nevertheless generally incomprehensible. It's a mystery that something was partially hidden in the Old Testament that's now been revealed to us, but nevertheless remains generally incomprehensible. And if you think about this as our, our union with Christ, this is true. It's something that was not totally clear in the Old Testament, that we'd be united to the Messiah. It was there, 
but it was clearly revealed when Jesus came in the flesh, when, when Jesus was God made known. Amen. It, it was clearly revealed in the incarnation. But the fact that we're in Christ or the fact that we're united to Christ is still pretty hard to comprehend in toto. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, we can't completely get our arms around what that means. Like, what does it mean that you're in Jesus and that Jesus is in you? And it's a mystery because it's been clearly revealed in the Old Testament, but it is now clearer, but still generally incomprehensible. How are we to really understand that you dwell in Jesus and that Jesus dwells in you? And what's even more fascinating is that, that this mystery of our union with Jesus is actually one of three mysterious unions that are, that are revealed but still hard to grasp. It's one of three mysterious unions that we, that we come to understand in the advent or the incarnation of Jesus. Uh, look at this uh, pastor from the 17th century. His name is Walter Marshall. Look at what he says about the great mystery of our union with Christ. He said, it is one of three mystical unions that are the chief mysteries in religion. The other two are the union of the Trinity of persons in the one Godhead, the union of the divine and the human natures in the one person, Jesus Christ, God and man. Amen. Though we cannot frame an exact idea of the manner of any one of these three unions in our imaginations, because of the depth of these mysteries is beyond comprehension. Yet we have cause to believe them all because they are clearly revealed in scripture and are a necessary foundation for other points of Christian doctrine. So think about that. You have the union of the Father, Son, and Spirit in the Trinity. You have the union of God and man in the person of Jesus Christ. And then you have the union of Jesus to his people. These, great, these three great mysteries that are clearly revealed in scripture, but in some sense are still beyond our comprehension. No wonder Paul calls our, our union with Jesus a great mystery. I mean, it's, it's right up there with the Trinity and the fact that Jesus is both 100% God and 100% man. I mean, those are, those are great mysteries. So why should we consider this great mystery this morning, other than the fact that the passage is all about it. Walter Marshall said that these great mysteries are a necessary foundation for our faith, a necessary starting point for what it means to appreciate and be transformed by the beauty of the gospel. So much so that without this great mystery of our union with Christ, we're gonna really struggle to understand how and why you benefit from the love of the Father. Without this great mystery of our union with Christ, we're at risk of seeing the good news of Jesus as something that's just out there and not something that actually moves me or affects me in here. The great mystery of our union with Christ is the foundation for every benefit we receive in the gospel. The great mystery of our union with Christ is the only reason why you can dwell on or think about the love that the Father has for us. Hear me out. Jesus in the gospel, he's the perfect man. He shows up, he, he has all the joy, he has all the peace, he has all the hope, he dwells on the love of the Father, he perfectly does the will of the Father, and what does he get for that? In a sense, he trusts the Father all the way up until death, but he's resurrected. He has eternal life, he is sitting on the heavenly throne, Jesus 
actually gets everything he deserved by being set up with glory and power unimaginable. And the gospel tells us that Jesus did everything he intended to do. He did everything that the father called him to do. So the father justly rewarded him for that work. And it, and here's where the mystery of our union comes in. If you and I are not connected to that in some way, if we don't understand this great mystery that we share in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then that's just one dude that did everything right and leaves the rest of us to try and do the same. But if we're united to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then everything he did, we already have. All the wrath he took, you've already passed through it. And everything he's been rewarded, you're guaranteed. And in fact, I would say more than that, everything Jesus has been rewarded, you deserve. And this is the great mystery of our union with Jesus that takes all of the benefits of the gospel, all the love the Father had from the Son and connects it to you and me. So just this morning, we're gonna look at that great mystery. It's no wonder Paul calls it a great mystery. No wonder Walter Marshall says it's, it's foundational to our belief because it's not just about the gospel that Jesus accomplished out there. It's about connecting it to us in here. So let's pray and then we'll jump into this great mystery. Dear Heavenly Father, you reveal things to us that are a wonder that we struggle to appreciate, struggle to even focus on or consider for any period of time, Lord. And yet these are our foundational truths to really resting in the love that you have for us, Lord. I pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit could do and open our eyes to see the amazement and the wonder and the beauty of the fact that you would unite yourself to us. Um, Lord, help us see that and just be impressed with the love that the Father has for the Son and in turn, the love that you have for us. So I thank you for this time to look at these passages this morning and I pray that um, it's encouraging for us, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so I'm gonna give a quick orientation to where we are in John. We've been going through uh, this for the last few weeks now. This is right before the crucifixion, right before he's leaving the world, right before he's about to suffer and, and die. And needless to say, he's telling the disciples that he's gonna leave and the disciples are a little bit stressed out by that fact. Uh, and then sort of to add to the stress, they find out that one of their close friends is a traitor, um, is gonna sell them all out. And uh, just when Peter stands up with all this confidence, Jesus tells them that all of you will actually abandon me at some point. And so this is kind of all at dinner. Um, to needless to say, they had a handful of awkward moments at that dinner. But Jesus steps in now, after those kind of those awkward moments, he steps in to encourage his, his disciples and we sort of, he starts this section of scripture, it's called the farewell discourse. He starts this section of scripture by saying one of the most beautiful things he's probably ever said. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. And so he goes on then to encourage the disciples. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the, the peace that comes from resting in the promises of God. He goes on to encourage the disciples to rest in the promises of God so that they would have that peace. And then he opens up with a prayer in front of his disciples, praying for his disciples. And we talked about this last week. He prays that they would have the full measure of his joy. 
So, so here he is trying to encourage his disciples and we're in the last half of the prayer right before the disciples and Jesus go to the garden where Jesus ends up being arrested. And so this is the last half of the prayer where we're gonna focus in on that great mystery of our union with him. So we cannot just see the gospel as something that's out there. We can see the gospel as something meaningful for us in here. So we'll start in verse 14 uh, through 17. It says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So, so here Jesus repeats this phrase in, in the first and the last verse of that section. He says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And he's talking to his, about his disciples and he's saying in the same way, or just as, in the same way Jesus is not of this world, they are not of this world. So then how is Jesus not of this world? I mean, I feel like that's a little bit of an easier question to answer. He, he was with the Father before the foundation of the world, enjoying the glory that he had before he then stepped down into the world, perfectly obeyed the Father, and is now leaving the world to go back to the Father. So, so it kind of makes sense to say that Jesus is not of the world. He literally had to step into the world. But here's the mysterious part. Here's the, the part that's revealed to us here that's in a sense incomprehensible is this little phrase, just as. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God existing with the Father before the world began can step into space and time and with a straight face look at you and say, like me, you are not of the world. That's a huge statement. Jesus is right here completely redefining the very existence of his disciples. They're no longer considered according to this creation. They're... they're they're no longer considered according to this world, but now just like Jesus, he can say they are from the Father. Jesus is so united to his disciples that their very identity, the very definition of who they are is no longer based on anything in this world because now just like Jesus, they are not of the world. And this, this is the great mystery of our union with Christ it completely redefines who we are. You're no longer defined by anything in this world, you're defined by your union with Jesus, by the fact that he came from completely out of this world and has gone back to the presence of the Father. That means that your identity, that means that your identity isn't rooted in what you did this week, what kind of job you have, how much others respect you or love you, what defines who you are is rooted in something eternal, something unchanging, something completely out of this world, your union with the Son. And think about how, how counter this is to we think. I mean, it's a silly question to ask, but I'm gonna ask it anyways. How often do we feel differently based on something that's going on in this world? How do you feel when you think about the job you're in and compare it to others? How do you feel when you think about your kid and compare it to the, the other parents or the other kids? How do you feel when you think about the love or the respect that others show you in the world? How do you feel when your week or your day just didn't happen the way you thought it would? 
Maybe it happened exactly how you thought it would and you feel fantastic. But that's the point, is what job I have, how much respect I get, how my kid is developing, what I've done. All of those things are things in the world that we let define us. Because when those things change, our feelings about ourselves change. When those things go up and down, we go up and down. We let the things in the world define who we are. But this is where, this is where the love of the Father steps in. This is where the good news, the great mystery of our union with Jesus comforts us with our new out of this world identity because we're so connected to the person of the son. Jesus can actually look at you and say, I don't look at your job. I don't look at your relationships. I don't look at your children or your tasks. I don't define you by the things of this world because like me, you're not from this world. No wonder Paul called this a great mystery. Jesus goes on, he, he's not just talking about how, how our union with him redefines who we are. This mystery changes our, our actual purpose too. Look at John 17, uh, verses 17 through 18. He says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Yes, and sanctify, it's kind of a loaded word, but at its core, it means to be set apart. Like the Levites out of the 12 tribes or the, the gold cups or dishes in the temple or even the, the first fruits of the crops or the firstborn of the animal flocks that they had to sacrifice. These are all things in the Old Testament that were, were set apart for use and service of God. They were, they were sanctified. And then after Jesus says, set them apart for service, he uses that phrase again, just as, just as you sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world. It's another comparison that only makes sense in our union with Christ. It's another great mystery that you and I, the broken, sinful, imperfect, fallen creatures, we can actually be sent into the world. We can actually be set apart for service to God in the same way that the perfect son of God is. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the fact that I share in the same purpose as Christ, as the Son of God. And I was a little convicted about how underwhelming that was for me. And I thought about it. I mean, if you work in an industry, if you have a hobby, if you think about someone in that realm that you have a lot of respect for, or someone in that realm that's sort of really well-known for whatever it is they do. Maybe it's even an, an educator or who holds influence over major portions of your industry or, or, or someone uh, in business that's kind of gone out there and started their own thing, maybe like a restaurant or a tech company or a coffee shop. If you think about someone in a particular industry that you just have a ton of respect for, and it's hard not, I met... Um, Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, which was like super intimidating when I did. Uh, super nice guy. But I was like, this guy has more employees than a lot of countries have people. <laughs> and that like just the sheer, regardless of what you think about Walmart, the sheer amount of financial influence that that one person has on the rest of the world, it was intimidating. And, and if he were to call me up and say, hey, Aaron, I heard you're doing good things at this one Walmart out of 10,000, I'd love for you to come and work directly for me 
so that you can share in my purpose. I think I'd flip my lid. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and if that sounds better than what Jesus is saying, then we should be convicted that we're so underwhelmed. When Jesus says, just like me, you are chosen to be sent into the world to do the will of the Father, to reveal God as we serve and speak to others. Jesus is saying, just like him, you and I now report to the very creator of the universe. We report directly to the very creator of everything good, beautiful, and true so that we could be sent into the world just as Jesus was sent into the world to reveal the Father through our works and our words. Why is that not the most attractive thing we've heard today? I mean, that's how sinful we are. We don't even appreciate, we don't even appreciate the fact that God has chosen, has set you apart to be his very servant, just as he set apart his very own son. And my prayer is that the spirit would make, make that something that we're amazed by, something we, we get out of bed every day to do, yes, to share in the same purpose of revealing the father, the same purpose of the son. And this is the, this is the great mystery of our union with Jesus. You and I, as broken as we are, are set apart by God for the same purpose as Jesus. We're here to reveal the Father through our works and through our words. And it's like Jesus knew we wouldn't really get this. He knew we wouldn't really appreciate this, so he goes on to encourage us with what he's done as the perfect set-apart son, the only one who, who perfectly and always did the will of the Father. Look at verse 19. He says, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And I looked, and I don't know why the ESV Bible does this, um, but the word to be set apart or sanctify, it's the exact same word in the ESV translated to consecrate. Uh, every other English language translation says, for their sake, I sanctify myself, I set myself apart that they also may be sanctified. But catch what he's saying. He's saying he set himself apart to serve for their sake. For their sake, so that they may also be set apart. Jesus knows we don't fully appreciate this opportunity. We don't find our satisfaction in his purpose to reveal the Father through our works and our words. More often than we want to admit, we're, we're caught up in pursuing some lesser purpose, some lesser purpose in revealing the Father. Jesus knows that. So right here he says, for their sake, I've already perfectly done the will of the Father so that they may also be set apart for their imperfect service to the Lord. And this is Jesus reminding us again of this great mystery. He's the one who perfectly served the Father, who lived every moment 100% aligned with the perfect purpose of the Heavenly Father so that in our weakness, you and I could still be set apart for that purpose could still be set apart to reveal the Father through our works and our words. And it's just another benefit of this great mystery of our union with Christ, because it's not about what we do, it's about sharing in what Jesus has already done. And that's the great 
mystery of our union with Jesus. We share in that purpose, even when we don't appreciate it, because it's not about us. It's about what Jesus is accomplishing through us and for our sake. It's cool, Jesus goes on to sort of reinforce this, the weight of this great mystery in the next couple of verses. Look at what he says in John 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And it and it's, but couldn't be more clear. So this, just, this isn't just for the disciples, this is for all of us. This is for everyone who believes and trusts in whatever God is saying in the gospel. This is for all the troubled hearts of the disciples, whether then or now or ever will be. And he goes on in verse 21 to make an even more amazing comparison, to make another huge statement on the great mystery of our union. He says that we may all be one just as, Father, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Amen. When you think about that, how do you comprehend that? In some sense, the people in this room, on the live stream too, in some sense, the people in this room are so united to Jesus, the same Jesus who said, if you see me, you see the Father. And he says, I and the Father are one. And he looks at you and says, just like me and the Father, you and I are that united. You and I are that connected. What do we make of that? How do we understand that? You're literally connected to the creator of the universe, not only in a way that completely redefines who you are, so much so that Jesus could say, yeah, like me, you're not from this world. You couldn't change your identity if you tried. Nothing in this world can define you. Like Jesus, you're defined by being out of the world, but then we share in the same purpose. While we're in this world, we're so united to the Father and the Son that we're actually set apart to share in the same purpose as the Son. And we, although imperfectly, we actually reveal the invisible God to the visible world through our works and our deeds. So why would the creator of the universe so unite himself to us, so unite himself to you and me. And he says it right there. So that the world may believe. So that the world may believe. He works a miracle in completely changing who we are and reorienting our purpose so that the world may believe in a loving and kind creator God of the universe. Yes, Lord. How can you even begin to appreciate the love of the Father in this great mystery of our union with his Son? I mean, even now, even now as we're wrestling with this scripture, we need the Spirit to open our eyes to see the beauty of this great mystery. You are one with God. You are defined by God. And you reveal God. Think about the worth and the value that that gives you the worth and the glory we struggle to imagine is exactly where Jesus goes in the next verse. Look at what he says in, in 22 and 23. Jesus says, the glory that, I ha that you have given me, talking to the Father, I have given to them, talking about his disciples, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, 
that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. This is another great mystery of our union. It gives you so much worth and so much glory. The glory, the majesty, the worth, the value, the wonder of the person and work of Jesus is what you possess in your union with him. That's a great mystery. What a wonder of the gospel. A gospel not just of God doing something out there, accomplishing something for his own reward, but a gospel that connects you to everything he did and everything he has. And since nothing in this world can change who you are, you can't lose that worth. You can no more affect and diminish the very worth of Jesus than you can infect or diminish your own worth. This is the great mystery of our union with Jesus. And if you think about this, if you have the glory of Jesus united to you, if you share in the very glory, wonder, and majesty of the beloved son, it's nothing less than blasphemy for the creator God of the universe to do anything but love you. That's the mystery of our union with the son. And this is, this is the love of God shown to us in this union. This is what verse 23 is saying. It says, you are one and you are loved even, or this is that just as statement coming up again. You are loved just as the son is loved. The father can't help but love you because you're united to the son and you share in the glory of the son. That's another great mystery of our union with Jesus. We share in his glory. It's why we share in the love of the father. Here's the difficult part is we have all this wonder, we have all this glory in our union with Jesus and yet every day we're tempted to fall back into making our own selves worthy. We go after so many things less than the glory of the son, so many things less than the worth and majesty of Jesus. We'd rather have people respect us than enjoy the respect we have in our union with the son. We'd rather have success in the world than be in awe of the complete work of the son that we have in our union with him. In our sin, we don't see that we already have the glory of the son. And this is a great mystery in our union with Christ. But Jesus is here, he's praying for his disciples and he's looking us in the eye and saying, why would you go after anything else? I've given you my glory. Why would you go after anything else when you can see how much love the Father has for me is the same love that he has for you? When we miss that glory, which we do, we can cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me through the Spirit rest in the glory that you've already given me. Help me see that the, the love that the Father has for his very own beloved Son is the same love that you have for me. You don't think that our Lord, that our Father wants to answer those prayers? You don't think he wants to overwhelm us with the love he has for the Son because you and I share in that same glory? 
he does. And if that love wasn't enough, Jesus goes on to promise us. He goes on to guarantee us that we will someday experience the love, not just by faith in the words that he has, but we'll see the glory and we'll see the majesty and we'll see the worth, not by faith, but by sight. Look at the last great mystery of our union in verses 24. It ensures our destiny. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And Jesus is, is leaving the earth. He's, he's left the earth never to suffer again. And here Jesus prays. Jesus prays a prayer that will be answered. He prays that, that we would be with him and we would finally see this glory. We would finally see the, the glory and majesty that we know through faith right now. We'd finally see the glory that the son has from the father. The glory that he's given the son because he's loved him before the foundation of the world. And this is the, another great mystery of our union with Christ. It ensures that our destiny is in the very presence of the father. Or as Paul says, we're united with him in a death like his, in our suffering like his, because we're also united to him in a resurrection like his. To finally see by sight and not just by faith. This is the, the great mystery of our union with Jesus. It ensures our destiny. So Jesus closes out this prayer. He ends this, this wonderful prayer for us, for his disciples with another encouragement. Look at what he says in the, in the last two verses. He says, oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He says, oh, righteous father. He says, look, perfect and just God. I know that the world doesn't get you. That the world doesn't know what I know of you, but my disciples know. They know because I'm united to them and they're united to me. Those who share in this great mystery of our union know you. And this is the most encouraging part, I think, of the verse. He says, I will continue to make known the Father. He says, I'll continue to make the Father known. And if we're already united, then why continue? He says, so that we could better come to grips with the love that the Father has for the Son. He's continuing to make the Father known so that you and I could better wrestle with the love that the Father has for the Son. Why would that benefit us? You should know by now because of the great mystery of our union with Jesus. The more the Father is satisfied with the life and death of the Son, the more you can begin to understand how much the Father is satisfied with you. The more the Father pours out the Spirit and works his purposes through the Son, the more you can begin to understand how much the Father has loved for you. The more the Father rewards and glorifies the Son, the more you can begin to understand how much love the Father has for you. And this is what the great mystery of our union does. It takes all the benefits of what Jesus did out there and it brings them right home to you and to me. 
And the more we understand the love of the Father, the more we understand the love that the Father had for the Son through this great mystery of our union, the more you understand the love that the Father has for you. And to steal a a closing line from Sinclair Ferguson, isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would just impress us with how much you love your son. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, as we look at his work, we see how far short we fall of that and the love that you have for Christ, that you would instantly remind us of, of this great mystery of our union with you. Um, Lord, we would see the affection that you have for the Son and, and have evidence right before our eyes that you love us because you're united to us, Lord. We're one as you and the Father are one, Lord. So I pray that you would help us uh, rest in that love. I pray that this would be something that rings in our head when, when we struggle with our worth or with affections, that we would we would remind ourselves of our, of our union with you, Lord, and the love that you have for us in that union. So I thank you for this morning and for the opportunity from your spirit to just consider these things, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.